Great, great worship this morning. Thank you, uh, Johnny and worship team. Appreciate uh, all that you've done. I think as I start out this morning, this has been laid, weighing kind of heavy on my heart for the last couple of weeks and just feel like I need to share it with the, the, the church and everyone that's watching out there so you can kind of just uh, kind of go through this with me. Uh, I, I've got actually some very, very, very sad news. A few weeks ago, my daughter Crystal disowned me. And of all places, she did it on Facebook. I, I kid you not. I, I, I kid you not. She, she found out that she had a long-lost relative that, that had left her $8 million. Uh, and, and she put that on Facebook. And so I, I just put out a, just a little reminder that uh, don't forget your dear old dad. And that's when she did it. She disowned me on Facebook. Now, I hope you realize I'm kidding. She didn't really inherit $8 million. Nor did she disown me, nor nor would she. Uh, even if she did come into my into some money, I, Crystal knows that she's my favorite daughter. So uh, the reality is, that she got this email that told her that she was the long lost relative, the only living relative, and she was going to get eight million dollars. And and there was only one catch. There was only one catch. She had to had to respond to this email address. Now. Luckily, she was smart enough to know that, uh, that, that there was a big catch. It wasn't really there. Probably had she responded, she would have found out she needed to send them $5,000 to get the money sent or something like that. Uh, it wasn't really real at all. I wonder sometimes if we don't read Scripture, and we see it kind of from, from one of two possible ways. I, I wonder if we don't see it thinking there's got to be a catch. Does, does God love does God really love us all? Well, according to John 3.16, Jesus said God loved the world so much he gave a son. D- does God really want to forgive us all? Well, according to 2 Peter 3.9, where it says he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, it would appear so. Does, does God really want us all in heaven at some point? Uh, would he want us all to, 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 to claim that promise? Well, yeah, Jesus in John 14, 2 said, my father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus wants to prepare a place for us if we'll only accept him. So I wonder if we don't read some of Scripture and we're just a little bit leery. They, they surely don't, those verses surely don't mean what they seem to be saying, uh, can they? Or, or maybe we see it this other way. Maybe we see it through this other lens. Uh, it's kind of the lens that says, well, they're... There, there's no catch, or, or really, there, there's no requirement, there's, there's no responsibility on my part. God surely wants all of us to just live blessed lives. To, he wants to give us all good things. He wants life to be easy. He, he doesn't expect anything in return. I, I really don't even have to do anything. And, and when we see it from that standpoint, we latch on to verses like this, Psalm 37, 4, where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I like the sound of that verse, or, or a lot of people love this one. Great verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, who wouldn't want that? Or, or Mark eleven twenty four, where Jesus says, therefore I tell you, whether you uh, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Well, sign me up for that. Or or Luke 6.38, given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. I think I like this Jesus stuff. So 
So this morning we're going to look in Matthew chapter 6 and and kind of see where, where, where to approach things. Uh, the listeners, the, the ones who stood out on the hillside that day, Matthew's Matthew's chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are, are known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus literally stood on a, a hillside. And so whether he was at the top or the bottom, I'm not really sure. People were, were, were strewn out across the, the, the hill. I doubt that they were social distancing at the time because there were probably hundreds and hundreds of them on top of one another. But, but they were listening to Jesus that day. And as they had been listening, as we, we pointed out last week, they probably, including the twelve, were probably a little bit shell-shocked. Jesus had, had just been hitting them with some amazing teaching. Just what we looked at last week. He said, if someone hits you on one, the, the right cheek, turn the other. If they want your tunic, give them your cloak as well. If you're, you're, you're supposed to go one mile, but I tell you go two. If, if someone asks you for something, just give it to them without expecting repayment. Or, or, or the big one when he said that we're to love and pray for our enemies. And, and then finally he said, you've got to be perfect, or as we realized last week means we have to try to look like Jesus. So, so as Jesus transitions from chapter 5 into chapter 6, for, for those on that hillside, there was actually a little bit of a break. There, there was probably a moment, I don't know if you've ever been, been sitting through a sermon and a preacher's just been stepping on your toes left and right, and then he shifts gears and, and starts talking about something that doesn't really apply to you, maybe applies to the guy in the other pew, and you're like, whew, man, I'm glad he's not talking about me. Well, that's kind of what was going on here in chapter 6. In fact, when he starts the chapter, I, I think there would have been uh, a, a recognition and probably an uneasy tension there, because I think everyone knew in the crowd that Jesus was talking to a specific group of people. He began to talk about when you, when you make a, a donation, when you give, don't do it to be seen by man. Or when you pray, don't stand in the synagogue so that people see you. And, and I would imagine as Jesus had been teaching, he probably looked over to the edge. It might have been on right or left side or maybe at the very back. And the religious leaders, I mentioned that last week, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law would have been there kind of just listening and paying attention to what Jesus was saying, trying to catch him in something. And I, I wonder when he got to the start of chapter 6, if Jesus didn't make eye, tank, eye contact with those guys and kind of look directly at them. And so everyone else, like I said, that, there was that nervous tension, like, but it was also like, whew, he's not talking to us when he's saying uh, this stuff. Uh, but, but right as, uh, right as, he, uh, as he says that stuff and, and, and he challenges the religious leaders, Jesus changes directions again. He, he pivots yet again and says something that would have, would have had the, the, the people on the hillside, all of them, saying, he said, what? There's a catch, but there's not a catch. Um, as I read this text, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read, start with verse 9 and and go down through 15, Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 15. As I read this first part, you're going to recognize it. You're going to be very, very familiar with maybe the whole section, but definitely the first uh, several verses. You're, you, when I start reading, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. In fact, let me just throw this out. Uh, we, we did a little deal last week. Carla Johnson won the toilet paper. And then thank you, Carla. She donated it back to the church, so appreciate that. But she also told me that she loves to have challenges like that. So, Char- Carla, here's your challenge. Try to figure out as I'm reading this, 
what would have caused them to, 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 to say, he said what, uh, when we get this passage? And I think the first part, you're going to be like, what, what's shocking about that? So, so read along with me. Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 9. Then this is how you should pray. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some versions, uh, uh, translations will add that last. We're used to uh, having that on there. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Then verses 14 and 15 say, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Did you did you catch it? Did you catch the shock? Actually, there's two things we're going to see, two shocking teachings there. Did you, did you catch them? Now, I, I need to make a, uh, a confession. I, I don't know if I'm the only one. Hopefully, I am. Well, I kind of hope I'm not. Then I won't feel so bad. But, but hopefully, for spiritual reasons, I hope I am the only one. When, when I read Matthew chapter 6, so if I start reading the Gospel of Matthew or decide I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety or whatever, when, when I come to the the Lord's Prayer, that verses uh, 9 through 13 that we're familiar with, I'll be honest, when I come to that, I, I kind of skip over it. I kind of just skip over it and don't really even uh, read, read it. I, I, and I guess it's because that, those verses are so iconic uh, that, that I, I really don't even think too much uh, about it. Uh, and what's impressive about this passage is how many people know the Lord's Prayer. People that, that don't go to church, people that haven't been in church for years can quote the, the Lord's Prayer. And, and let me, let me uh, confess another thing. Occasionally, I will have people at, at certain settings, usually a funeral or a wedding, I've had a couple other kind of settings as well, but I'll have sometimes people that are in charge or, or I'm doing whatever service for them will say, hey, can you, lead the, can you lead the group in the Lord's Prayer? And let me be honest, let me confess here. I hate when that happens because I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. Because you can't, the Lord's Prayer, you can't take your Bible out and read it. I just did earlier, you noticed, but, but you're, you're supposed to quote it. And, and, and as a preacher, you're supposed to nail it. You're not supposed to, and I'm always afraid, I'm always afraid that I'm going to mess it up. So, but the cool thing is, no matter where I'm at, I could be at a, a funeral for someone that, you know, the whole group has never been to church much, and I start I start out, our Father who art, and then I can just kind of go quiet, and they will finish it. So I know it's going to happen next time we're somewhere, and you guys are, I have to do that. You guys are going to be peeking out of your eyes. Is he really t- saying it, or is he waiting on us to do it uh, for him? So, so it really kind of proves my point. We get to this, we, we read those verses, and, and I'm going to guess that that nothing really jumps out at us as being very radical or, or, or grabbing our attention. Certainly, certainly we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have said, he said what? Uh, but I want to point out, here's the first thing that he says that really was radical. He said, uh, or this, this is what he's saying to us, I, I can be forgiven. This is what would have been radical. You mean there's no catch? There's no catch for me being forgiven? See, in verse 12, he, he says, forgive our debts. He's right in the middle of this prayer, just Jesus simply and casually talks about forgiveness. Forgive our debts. 
There, there's not any fanfare or regulations. There's no ceremony or sacrifices. F- sacrifice. Jesus just said, when you pray, ask God to forgive what you owe. A- ask God to forgive you what you owe him for, and it's done. The word forgiveness uh, at its root in Greek has the idea to send forth or to send away. So forgiveness is getting something and sending away from us. Uh, and and the, the word debt, actually there's three words that are used in the New Testament somewhat interchangeably for sin. One of them is the word Jesus uses here, uh, debt, which means what you might think. It means a debt. So, so if you owe someone, you, you, uh, you borrow money, you owe them a debt. So, so when we've sinned against God, we owe a debt to him that needs to be paid. So it literally means a debt. Another word for sin has the idea of missing the mark. It's like shooting at a target and missing it. Uh, a few, uh, golly, it's been a couple of months ago now, Reed and I went down to Springfield and watched our granddaughter, Isabel. Uh, she was in an archery competition, and it was so cool to watch her shoot at the target. And she moved back, to, I think it was either the, the intermediate target or the furthest one away, and she shot one time, and, and I mean, she was doing really well, but that time she shot and missed the target. It hit the concrete floor and skidded away, and she turned around and kind of looked at us and smiled like, man, I missed that one. Well, one of the words for sin has that idea of missing the mark. Another one has the idea of stumbling and falling. So whether you stumble and fall or miss the mark or owe a debt, Jesus is saying here, and really it's, it's radical, He's saying here that you can be forgiven, and there's not a catch. See, for them, that would have been a new concept. Maybe that doesn't, doesn't jump off the page at us as much, but, but for them, it would, have, it would have been, you mean all I have to do, all I have to do to have my sin dealt with, all I have to do to have it cast away, to sin, all I have to do is, is say, God, forgive me, and there's not a catch. See, on the hillside that day, there were three groups. Um, quite honestly, uh, it's, it's similar today. There's probably three groups as we're watching the service here today. We fit in one of these three. One of the groups were those who were very familiar with the law. As I mentioned, the religious leaders were at the back, so they definitely were in that group. There were probably a lot of others on the hillside that day that were, were faithful to the synagogue, and they knew the law. They knew what, what uh, the Old Testament had told them to do. Very, very, very familiar with the law. They understood that if you broke one letter of the law, you, you sinned one time, you were guilty of the whole law. So, so the, the, the group there, part of the group was ones that knew the law and they knew that they were guilty, that their sin caused them to be guilty. Another group of people there that day were people that didn't know the law. Now, this could have been, this could have been some of the fishermen, some of the, the, uh, uh, the tax collectors, the, uh, Oftentimes in Scripture, uh, just as a blanket way of saying it, Jesus would say sinners and tax collectors. Uh, it, was, it was ones who had been separated from the synagogue. They, they had lived their life away from Jewish tradition. Uh, for whatever reason, whatever, whatever the, the, what had caused them to, to get that point, they, they weren't listening to God, they weren't looking for God, they weren't worrying about whether they had sin in their life or not. So they didn't really know the law at all, but they knew this. They knew that they were guilty. And then, then the other group were those that, that were somewhere in the middle. They, they, they weren't necessarily uh, experts in the law. They weren't necessarily well-versed in the law. But, but they knew what the law said, and they knew this as well. They were guilty. See, what they all knew was that they owed a debt or they had missed the mark 
or they had fallen down, and they were all in need of forgiveness. But what they didn't know, this is what was shocking, was that forgiveness was close. Was Jesus suggesting that they didn't have to go through a process? They, they didn't have to offer a sacrifice. They didn't, didn't have to go through ceremonial cleaning. They didn't have to rely on someone else to connect in the God. If, if that is what he was saying, it is both radical and a whole new concept. And I think they would have said, he said what? Because the reality, if that's all it was, I just have to say a prayer, it, it wasn't just a new concept, but it gave them a new connection. Now, I need, to be, I need to be careful here, and I want you to listen closely to what I have to say. Uh, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm going to say next and then use it against me. I, uh, about a year and a half ago, I said something similar to what I'm going to say next, uh, and Callie Cottle has used this against me. So, Callie, uh, you will recognize this probably. But uh, So, is, is Jesus suggesting here that we don't need the church? Was he saying to them that they didn't need to go to the synagogue? They didn't need to follow religious tradition? They didn't need to go to a priest or offer sacrifice? Is, is that what Jesus was saying? Well, yes and no. See, we, we don't need, speaking today, we don't need the church for forgiveness. Now, let me say it again. Let it sink in. Some of you might be freaking out, and I will explain what I mean. We don't need the church for forgiveness. See, the church doesn't forgive. Uh, now, as individuals, we, we do. We offer forgiveness to people, but that's not what I'm saying here. The church doesn't forgive. We don't, it's not our job or our ministry or, or, or the job or ministry of anyone connected to the church to grant forgiveness. We, we, we don't offer you forgiveness and say, boom, you're forgiven. It's not our role. Forgiveness comes from Jesus. That was the radical teaching. Through Jesus, we have a direct path and a direct connection to God for forgiveness. So, so even though we read the, the Lord's Prayer and, and it's nice, it's, it's kind of like, uh, like 1 Corinthians 13. It's just one of those passages we read and we don't think about. I imagine that's true there. And so when he says... Uh, forgive our debts we just kind of say that and we don't realize what jesus is saying is i'm giving i'm giving you a whole new connection you don't have to go to to the synagogue to offer uh uh, sacrifices forgiveness it's it's yours through jesus uh now now don't misunderstand we do need the church the the church is the bride of christ we need the church for community for accountability for instruction Trying to live the Christian life without the church is like trying to cross the desert without water. You'll make it for a little while, but eventually you're going to dry up and die. We, we need the church. Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't saying forget the synagogue here, but he is simply saying, man, forgiveness is close, and you can make that connection to me. And all it takes to get that connection, that spiritual cleansing, all it takes is just a word. I don't care what your spiritual background or what your church tradition has been. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you made him the Lord of your life, then all we have to do for forgiveness is as simple as a word, Father, forgive me.
there's no catch. Okay, so, so, so they would say, he said, what? There's no catch? But as Jesus often does, he, uh, he kind of flips it right back on its head because then it really is, he said, what? There's a catch? There's a catch. Notice what he says in verse, um, uh, well, I'm going to go back to verse 12 and then I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. Verse 12 says, forgive us our debts, but don't forget the next thing he said in that verse, as we also forgive our debtors, as we forgive those that owe us something that have sinned against us, basically. Verses 14 and 15. For if we forgive men when they sin against us, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, no. You mean there's a catch? Did he just say that? Now, before you freak out, let me walk some of you back off the ledge. Some of you might be on that ledge thinking, man, I've got someone right now that I'm struggling with. And if you're saying I can't be forgiven unless I forgive them, I'm just, I might as well just give up. I might as well just jump off. Let me walk you back off the ledge just a little bit. Uh, what's, our, what's our motivation? If you have your Bibles, leave, leave Matthew 6 open, but go, go forward a few chapters to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read a couple verses, but I'm also then going to explain uh, a, a parable that Jesus uh, gave. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 22. And if you want to read on while I'm talking, verses 23 to 35 is the parable that he uses to, to uh, hammer home the teaching. Verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? How, how many times do, man, a guy just messed me up once, twice, three times, four. And then Peter says, up to seven times? Now, now you got to understand here, Peter, Peter was trying to impress Jesus with his, uh, his spirituality, his depth of character. Uh, rabbinical teaching was that you had to forgive someone three times. They, they sinned against you once, you got to forgive them twice, you got to forgive them three times, you got to forgive them four times. Hey, you're, you're on your own, you don't have to worry about it anymore. That was their teaching. So, so, so Peter takes it up, to, up a notch. He raises the bar a little bit and says, hey, do I have to do it seven times, Jesus? Man, I am so holy. Jesus, I'm going to forgive him seven times. Uh, and, then, and then Jesus says, uh, uh, says this, verse 22. Uh, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You might have a version that says 70 times seven. So whether it's 490 times or 77 times, doesn't make a whole lot of difference. What Jesus is saying is a whole bunch. And, and if, you're, if you keep track and at 76 times forgiving, you say, I only have to forgive one more time, you're probably missing the whole point of Jesus' teaching anyway, and I can't help you. But what Jesus is saying is, no, we just have to keep forgiving over and over and over again. So then he tells a parable. He says there was a guy that owed the king what would, would amount to several million, 10,000 talents would have been millions of dollars. This guy owed the king all this money. The king demanded repayment and the guy fell on his knees and said i can't pay you back would you forgive me i will try to work on this and the king uh, felt compassion for him and forgave him the debt just okay you don't owe me that money this same guy then went and found a guy that owed him uh, a hundred denarii which which was been a few dollars owed him a little bit and and the guy did the same thing he fell on his knees and said hey, Hey, I'll try to pay you back, but the guy said, nope, you owe me the money right now. If you don't pay me back, I'm sending you to prison. Well, as the parable goes on, the king hears about that, calls that guy in and said, why didn't you show him mercy? Why didn't you show him mercy? And then Jesus says at the end of, of chapter 18, 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So, so, so you see, we need to forgive others. So, so this concept, this idea that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter 6, we'll see it in a couple other places here in a minute, this concept of forgiving others like we have forgiven. See, we need to see it from a place of forgiveness. We need to see forgive others from our place of forgiveness. If God can forgive me when he sees and knows my darkest sins, if he can forgive me when I've turned my back on him, if he can forgive me when I've stabbed my brother in the back, if he can forgive me when I've broken all or most of the Big Ten and uh, several hundred of the little ones, if, if he can forgive me, then shouldn't my motivation to forgive others come from my place of forgiveness? See, I think that's what Jesus wants us to catch here. If, if we live under the umbrella of forgiveness, if God has said, man, I, I, I see your darkness, but I forgive you, shouldn't that impress on us how we look at other people when they sin against us? So what's our method? That's our, our motivation is that Jesus has forgiven us, God's forgiven us, so we should forgive. What's our method? What, what does it really look like? How do we put that into action? How do we actually forgive when that happens? See, here's the problem. I've, I've had this come up uh, many times in Bible studies or Sunday school classes when we're talking about this, and someone inevitably will raise their hand and, and make a, a comment like this. So you're saying, so you're saying if someone kills my wife, or if someone kills my husband, they, they murder my husband, unless I forgive them, I won't be forgiven. Is that what you're saying Jesus says here? Does Jesus really mean that? See, sometimes we come up with the worst example, the worst trespass that anyone could come up with, and we want to say, is that what Jesus is talking about? Now, now let, me, let me point this out. Jesus probably here, isn't talking about our worst-case scenario. When, when, when he says that we need to forgive those who sin against us, I don't think Jesus is talking about our worst-case scenario. He's talking about real life. Now, let me go on a little tangent here. Are we supposed to forgive in worst-case scenarios? Uh, <laughs> you don't want to hear this, but yes. Uh, in worst case scenario, some of you listening today have had those happen to you. Maybe not your husband killed, your wife killed, hopefully not, but you, you've had some pretty bad things happen to you. You've been harmed in huge ways. Are, are you saying that I have to forgive? And I would say yes. But, but note this. It, it, I understand Jesus understands it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come fast. And, and maybe it will never come completely for forgiveness starts simply when we realize that we have to forgive if you're at a place where someone has harmed you in a deep way and you're holding on to that bitterness and like i can never forgive them i understand that but but can you at least get to the place to realize you know what god wants me to somehow get there to to take some baby steps to get there now now let me point out let me point out two truths on the cross Jesus forgave the ones killing him. So Jesus, let's just be honest here, Jesus set the bar really high. 
Because when they were killing him, he said, Father, forgive them. Jesus set that bar up here. But let me point something else out to you. You aren't Jesus. You know what? I don't think Jesus expects us to forgive like he does. Because we're not the son of God. We're, we're not without sin. It's, it's not going to be easy. And, and it's going to be a process. I've worked with a guy through this process that took him years to get to a place where he could just start to hint at forgiveness when someone had, had tried to murder his daughter unsuccessfully, praise the Lord. But, but it, it, it took him years to get to a place where, where he could even think about forgiveness. And I, I think that's a reality. But I think what Jesus is saying here uh, is don't worry about the worst-case scenarios. If you're in one of those, hey, we'll talk about that. We'll pray about that. Gather some people around you that will support you and help you figure out how you can, can even start a process. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I, I think he says don't worry about the worst-case scenarios. Why don't you worry about the real-life ones? I think Jesus is saying get real. Uh, take an honest look at your life. Or, are you willing to look at people who've hurt you and, and, and remember that you were forgiven when you hurt people? Are you willing to look at people who have let you down and remember that when you let God down, that he forgave you? Are you willing to look at people who've made poor choices and, and then look back and remember that, oh, wow, my life is littered with, with the remains of poor choices and yet God always forgave me? Are you willing to look at people who have been selfish and and, and me-centered, and then remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, God looks past that in my own life and forgives me. See, the key there is that he ties, ties with that idea of forgiveness, he ties with that what we spent several weeks talking about, and that is a love that comes from God. This isn't our love, it's the love that God puts in our heart. If you have your Bibles, keep Matthew open, but look over in Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, and then I'm going to go into chapter 5 for two verses. Notice what it says and notice the connection. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as Christ, just as Christ God forgave you. In Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God, God, chapter 5. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved, loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And over in Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, uh, says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Tying that idea again. And then notice this. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Uh, so, so our method is is to connect love, and and a practical way of of being like Jesus to forgive. And then finally, we'll close with this last thought, this last idea. What's our mission? I would point out that that we talked about the mission last week, Matthew chapter five, verse forty eight. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus laid that out there that we need. Not, not to be without sin. That should be a goal. We should try that, but we're not going to get there. But we should try to be perfect in the sense that we're growing up and looking like God. Is it easy to forgive when people wrong you? No. 
is it going to come immediately? Boy, I'm I'm a believer, so so all man, just automatically someone someone wrongs me, and I I can forgive them with without hesitation. Now nah, it's probably not going to come immediate. Are, are we going to nail it every time? I mean, is every time someone wrongs us, they they've done something to one of our kids, they've done something to a friend of ours, and 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 boy, all we we just say a quick prayer and boom, it's over. We don't have any bitterness or heartache or uh, no. It, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a process. We're we're seeking to be like Jesus. It is kind of shocking, though. He said, "What? We have to forgive." As as I close, I, I want to point out the obvious. We all have a desire. We all have a desire to be loved and forgiven. Max Lucado tells a story of a father and his teenage son who lived in Spain who had, a, had an argument. When the argument was over, they both went their own direction. Both of them felt wronged and, and bitter at the other one, felt like the other one had done the wrong thing. And the next morning, the father got up and went to his son's room. He was going to apologize and offer forgiveness. He opened the door, and his son wasn't in there. In fact, the bed had not been slept in, and he knew immediately what had happened. The son had had taken a bag and headed for the city. The, the father was heartbroken because he, he loved his son and, and nothing was more important to him than having relationship with his son. So, so he got things put in order so he could leave and the, a couple of days later he headed for the city. And when he got to the city, he went to every place that he could think of, every, uh, every shelter, every low-rent hotel, every place that maybe his son was hanging out and he and he posted a sign there that simply said this, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the post office tomorrow at 9 in the morning. Love your father. As Ocato tells the story, he said the next morning the father showed up at the post office at 9 o'clock, and there was his son Paco standing there. And he said there were six other Pacos, teenage boys who had shown up wanting the same thing, wanting to be loved and forgiven. He said, what? There's no catch. All I have to do is ask and God will forgive me. Yeah. He said, what? There, there, there is a catch. I, I have to try to be like Jesus. I, I have to try to offer the same forgiveness that I've received. Well, yep, that's called growing up into maturity. That's called growing to be like Jesus. He said what? Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you that we, we can come to you and have forgiveness. When we've called on Jesus, made him the Lord of our life, Father, that, that we, uh, we have forgiveness that is simply a thought away, a, a prayer away. Lord, I pray t- this morning for those that may be listening today that don't know you that haven't asked Jesus to be the Lord of their life, that haven't come in contact with, with your son Jesus. Father, I pray today that you would place that on their heart. Father, if they're there, just, Lord, put it on their heart to have the boldness to contact us so we can walk through what they need to do to know that their sins are forgiven and their life is, is given to you. Father, we thank you that forgiveness is ours. But Father, we thank you that you trust us so much that you want us to be like you and that you want us to offer forgiveness. Lord, I pray, I pray for each of us, because we probably all have someone in our life right now or some situation 
that we're holding on to, that we're struggling with, that we just can't quite let go. We can't forgive like we've been forgiven. Father, I pray for your strength for the ones that are struggling with that today. Help them forgive just like they've been forgiven through Jesus' love for them. Father, we pray this blessing today that we can be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching this morning. We will we'll be here again uh, next Sunday morning. As I mentioned last week, be sure to take some pictures of your at-home church. When we finally are able to come back together and meet together, we'll have a little montage of that. So don't forget that God is still God and God is in control. See you next Sunday.